Does this seem weird to anybody else? I mean, we're looking down on Wayne's basement. Only that's not Wayne's basement. Isn't that weird? That's, uh, that's weird, man. That's weird. Garth, that was a haiku. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt in Seattle. Today is Friday, May 22nd. At the top there, you heard a clip from the movie, yep, Wayne's World. If you've been hanging out on our blog this week, you know we are all about haikus. More on that later in the show. And also today, David, sometimes friendships, they come from shared interests, right? I like to bike, you like to bike. I like Star Wars. Do you like Star Wars? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes friends come from college. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sometimes friends, they come from hijackings. What? That is coming up. You'll have to keep listening. First, our planet money indicator, it's 500 bucks. You're going to explain that, right? Yeah, okay. So remember that guy that we talked to on Monday? He was applying for the home loan modification program. Right. Uh, he was uh, describing how he watched Obama on TV talking about his new program to stop foreclosures. And he thought, that is exactly me. That is me. This is great. And it didn't really work out well for him. He, he applied, but then didn't hear back or something. Right. Weeks and weeks he was getting trapped in this like phone customer service vortex. And eventually the operator actually told him he was denied. It seemed like maybe she had the wrong information about him. Anyway, it was a really frustrating experience. And actually, since we ran that, we heard from a lot of you that many of you have had the same frustrating experience. This program is just not working the way it was supposed to. So I called Jeff Nielsen, the guy from Monday's podcast. I called him yesterday just to see if he had seen the comments on the blog and to see that he really wasn't the only one. And he told me this. On the day that the podcast aired, which was uh, Monday the 18th, I called in as I do every Monday, and um, I was told that, um, that I was denied for the program and that they had some sort of really erroneous numbers with regard to my monthly expenses and seemed to be absolutely turning a deaf ear to all the documents that I was sending to them. And then, you know, 48 hours later, I contacted Wells Fargo again, and they told me something very different than they had to been telling me for you know, the last 10 days, they told me, now I'm approved for the Home Affordable Mortgage Program. You're approved. Yeah, uh, weirdly, as that sounds. <laughs> In fact, when I hung up with that person, I immediately called back just to get someone else on the phone to make sure the person I was speaking to wasn't drunk. <laughs> so I called immediately back and had the exact same conversation with someone else, and they told me the same thing, so that was very heartening. And then I just, you know, waited for the documents, which arrived today. So Jeff got this FedEx package on his door. They had overnighted it. And so anyway, it's a long-winded way of saying 500, our indicator. That's how much Jeff Nielsen is now going to save each month from his newly modified mortgage. The interest rate, now it's 3.75% down from a little over 6%. Wow. But what, what happened? All of a sudden, he just got approved? Yeah, well, I mean, it's impossible to tell, right? But I've, I've been calling Wells Fargo. I've been calling them more often than Jeff Nielsen calls them to try to get someone to explain what's going on with his application, just how their process works and what's hard for them about reviewing applications. Um, and all I've gotten from them is really one pretty unhelpful email response about how they see the program as yet another incremental opportunity for thousands of homeowners to preserve the dream of home ownership. That's a quote. Um, yes. 
But I did, I sent them, you know, Jeff's loan numbers and details. Oh. And actually, several other reporters at NPR and one here at KPLU say they've also done stories about people applying for loan modifications. And as soon as the story runs, they get approved. I see. All of a sudden improved after the media get involved. Yeah. It's kind of sad to think you need to enlist the national news media to get your mortgage refinanced. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, today is actually a, a day of, of follow-up stories, right? Yeah, so those stories that you, you know, put to bed, you move on. It has not been happening that way this week. First, there was Jeff Nielsen calling me and, you know, telling me what happened after we had talked. And then, David, the Pirates, remember that? They also they came back for a little more this week. The Pirates came back, yeah. So this is the story you did a while ago when Pirates were in the news all the time. The Maersk, Alabama was hijacked. And we had you explain the Somali piracy, basically from an economic perspective. It was a great story, um, and we all moved on, but apparently the story kept going. So, um, and what what happened after we left the Somali coast, it's kind of amazing. Okay, so just to recap, in that story, there was a Danish ship owner, Per Golestrup, and he had a ship hijacked in the Gulf of Aden, 13-man crew. He went through this several-month-long negotiations with the pirates. They introduced himself and said, you know, I'm, I'm, my name is Ali, I'm your friendly uh, pirate today. Uh, not quite, but they're not making any threats or anything. They, they, they are very polite in, in, in their whole demeanor. Golestrup was actually surprised at how nice his pirate negotiator was, just like how much it felt like a basic business negotiation, reasonable, courteous. The guy introduced himself as Mr. Ali. It was all very respectful. Yeah, but it was intense negotiations, right? I mean, Goldstrip and, and Mr. Ali, they were haggling over the ransom amount for months. I remember Goldstrip, he said it was like working with a, you know, a car salesman. Mr. Ali, uh, working for the pirates, he'd throw out a, a big number and Goldstrip would say, give me a break. That's a fantasy. And he'd walk away. And this Mr. Ali would call back with a little lower offer. <laughs> Yeah, and eventually, so they eventually come to an agreement somewhere between one and two million dollars to release Golestrup's boat. So Golestrup, he drops the money from a helicopter. He gets his boat back and his crew back, and that's the end. Okay, so that's our little recap. That's where your story ended. But then I found out this week the story didn't end there. Golestrup, he gets his crew and his boat back, and they drop off the pirates Friday morning. And then Saturday, he's in Copenhagen in his kitchen, and his phone rings, and it's Mr. Ali calling him from Somaliland. Funnily enough, uh, and uh, I was almost almost called, uh, you know, courtesy call, and he would just wanted to say that uh, that he'd gotten back home, and uh, and uh, he was back, uh, that he made it home. He he told me that he'd had to walk, I believe it was eighty miles or eighty kilometers overland through the mountains to get home. Um, and, and he started off saying that. So he called you to check in to tell you he was doing okay? Yeah, you can, call, you can certainly say that. What did you say? You just said, you know, glad you're home safe? Yeah, we started talking because I was curious about uh, the, the inner workings of, of the system, you know, and I started asking him, trying to get a better understanding of the mechanics of it all, and he was very forthcoming with that. You know, this is exactly what I always want to do after I buy a used car from some guy. I want to, like, take him out for a drink and say, okay, okay, we're done the haggling. What was the real price? Did it get ripped <laughs> right, off? How close was that? Th- that's basically what was happening here. You know, Golestrup would say, 
hey, what was happening that day that you guys raised the price? What was that about? And Mr. Ali would say, oh, yeah, there was this thing. And Golistrup would ask about the power dynamics on the ship. And he was just chatting, you know, just talking with the pirate negotiator. It is funny dynamics because the whole Somali pirate thing is a commercial transaction. You know what the end game is. You know what the end result is. So once it was all over, it was like having concluded, I'm sorry to say, it was having concluded a business deal. And when you complete a business deal with somebody, you're not necessarily an adversary afterwards. I mean, I wouldn't say this was a win-win, let me put it that way. But, I mean, it, it's a, certainly as these things goes, I mean, it, it, it uh, you know, he, he got the better of us with his uh, the, with the pirates, and and, uh, and we got our ship back, and we got our crew back in, in, in a reasonable mental condition. And that was the purpose of the exercise as far as we're concerned. So, listeners out there, this is the place and the story where you're saying, man, I wish we could hear from the pirate negotiator, and we're happy to tell you, you can. <laughs> yeah, so I managed to get in touch with Mr. Ali. This is actually how I found out, you know, this whole act two of the story. Gullistrup had mentioned he had a number for Mr. Ali when we first talked, and I kept trying to get him on the phone, and I couldn't until just this week. So we talked, and he keeps talking about Per Gullistrup, and I'm like, how do you know so much about this guy? And he tells me about that first call, and he says after they talked, they exchanged emails. The emails are on a daily basis, two or three emails a day. Uh, we send to each other, but also you, you send each probably, other two or three emails a day. Yes. What What are you emailing about? We talk about uh, uh, the issues of piracy uh, convention. There was a convention in uh, Brussels, uh, or a convention in Copenhagen, or one in London, or this or that. It's not only emails. Uh, we actually talk uh, maybe four or five times a week over the phone too. And your your friends? Good friends. Uh, yeah, the nice family too. <laughs> a nice family. So, so we have a ship owner who had his boat hijacked by armed pirates. He is now buddies with the guy who negotiated for the pirates. Is that right? Well, Golistrup, Golistrup doesn't call it a friendship. He's a little less willing to characterize it that way. He says it's a business relationship. And actually, you know, if you like step back and look at this from an economic perspective, you do have this information problem here. Golistrop doesn't really know who he's dealing with, how the pirates are organized, who's in charge. Um, and the pirates, they do. Golistrop says they're colluding, they're sharing information. Right. So economists call this market power. The, the pirates, since they're colluding, sharing information, they can exert a lot of control over the market price and get more in ransom. So, And so far, the ship owners aren't doing that. There's not a coordinated effort in how we deal with the pirates. So one owner will negotiate one, uh, you know, in, in, in one way and, 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 and may, at the end of the day, pay another $50,000 compared to what the last ransom uh, was, that was paid at, okay? So and the owners are escalating the ransom payments because they're not really coordinating how to deal with pirates. The pirates, on the other hand, are extremely good at sharing information. And we know for a fact, truly, amongst others, that they do have uh, piracy workshops, that the pirates are actually meeting ashore and exchanging information. Really? Oh, yes. What does that mean, a piracy workshop? Well, the pirates of the various clans, uh, elders, uh, are getting together, and, and they will exchange information. So Mr. Ali is, is, uh, is, is, is like an insider. He's, he's giving information to Gullistrup about the people he's negotiating with. Yeah, so Gullistrup will you know, hear from his 
ship owner buddy that there was a German ship hijacked last night, he can call Mr. Ali and say, do you know anything about it? Can you look into it? And Mr. Ali will go and look into it and share any info he can find. Why did, What's in it for Mr. Ali? Why does why he, I mean, he's selling out his pirate buddies? Right. Well, this is interesting because Mr. Ali, he doesn't see himself as a pirate. He's very clear on that. He says he agreed to negotiate for pirates so he could get to know what their business is like so he could start his own business. If I become uh, an expert on piracy and uh, try to milk that, uh, I think it is a legit business. The news media and global news media would need somebody who is, who is going to be an authority to report from uh, the inner feelings of a pirate and to report whether pirates are going to stay around for a long time or not. I have to eliminate piracy. We have tried to you know, help him with that by, by giving him credentials as an expert in, in piracy locally. And also he's trying to, to establish himself as a piracy consultant. So it's a, it's a two-way street. I mean, it's pretty, a, a quid pro quo. It, it's not like we're bosom buddies, okay? I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, this, this is a business relationship. Right. But do you ever talk about, like, do you know anything about his life? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, he, he's a, he's a, he's a very kind person here he, in, in talking to him, and he has a, he has a wife uh, up in uh, North Somaliland. He has a son. He is a, he has a large herd of uh, camels. He sent me an email that said that he is allocated three uh, like I don't know what you, what you call camel babies. I mean, they're not called camel babies. They call something else. But he's allocated three camels to me, which I'm, I'm you know I'm honored. Three only, no bones. Yeah. How come you gave them to him? Because that was a good gesture from my part, because I know that uh, he would have done the same. It's those little things that count. That's the way it is, Hana. You know, one minute you're haggling over million-dollar ransoms, next thing you're giving each other baby camels. Calves. What? Yeah, baby camels are called calves. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it, it turns out there's another economic reason why these two guys should be buying each other camels and becoming friends. And um, we found this out. It, it has to do with the central issue, the question I had last time, which is how does the haggling end up with a price? Like what actually sets sets the price? Because there's this huge range it could be. And in a normal marketplace, you have a lot of buyers and a lot of sellers. And, uh, you know, the market has a lot of good information. And it settles on, on the price at which there are the same number of people willing to sell and the same number of people willing to buy. But here... It's it's just kind of weird. There's like one guy with a boat and one guy negotiating for it, and the ship's worth fifteen million dollars. The ransom is somewhat less than that somehow. So, to try and understand this, we called up Peter Leeson, professor of economics at George Mason University. He wrote a book called The Invisible Hook: The Hidden Economics of Pirates. And so we played him the the tape you just heard, and he said, "Oh, there there actually there is a name for this weird economic situation." This situation that a pirate crew and the commercial vessel it's overtaking confront is called a monopolist-monopsonist bargaining problem in economics. <laughs> Say it again slowly. A monopolist-monopsonist bargaining problem. Which means? Well, it emerges in a peculiar kind of market where there's only one seller and one buyer, which is what it refers to. Okay, so monopolist meaning there's one seller and monopsonist is one buyer. Exactly. In the case of pirates, the market in question is the market for the captured commercial crew's freedom. The single seller of the freedom is the pirate crew, and then the single buyer would be the commercial ship owner. So Leeson says one of the classic things that happens in this monopolist, monopsonist bargaining situation is that the 
that it takes a really long time to settle on a price, which is exactly what you see. Goldstrup and Ali were negotiating for months because it's really hard to find a price when you have just one buyer and one seller. It's not like you know when you buy when there's a market for cell phones or corn futures or whatever. You know, the, so so what happens is the haggling just goes on and on and on. You know, a drawn-out negotiation is costly to the pirate crew, which can't resume pirating until the negotiation is concluded. It's costly to the commercial ship, which can't, you know, resume its regular employment until the negotiation is over. And, of course, most importantly, drawn-out negotiation is costly to captive commercial sailors who can't have their freedom until a bargain is struck. So what this means is that all of the parties involved, perhaps counterintuitively, actually have an incentive to cooperate, to try and get together to reduce the cost of negotiation, to come to a mutually agreeable you know, ransom price sooner rather than later. So there is an economic reason for Mr. Ali and Per Golestrip to be friends. All right. Thank you, Peter Leeson. And a big thank you today to Caitlin and Jacob, who labor over our podcast week after week. They produce it. It's a ton of work, and they always do a really amazing job at it. And David, I think that brings us to weekend time. Time to put the feet up, read some poetry, perhaps? Yeah, we got a lot of your poems on our blog at npr.org slash money, inspired by a haiku-loving economist in Chicago. This guy, he says he likes the economizing of words. So we put a call out to you for your recession haikus, and man, we got a lot of them. And so that's how we're going to go out today. Share yours on our blog at npr.org slash money. We won't be with you on Monday, but we'll be back podcasting Wednesday. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Khana Jaffe-Waltz. Have a happy weekend. Collateralized debt. Oh, how I'm obligated. What tranche shall I be? Housing market tanks. Credit crunch ensnares the banks. Now I am broke. Thanks. Technical writer, move to haiku department. Still paid by the word. Husband used to make commercials. Recession hit. Now army soldier. Thirty winters gone. Mills still empty by the shore. Some things won't return. Million dollar home, right neighborhood and schools too. Now an empty house. Capitalism. Prosperity has a price. Your turn to pay up. Hiding in law school will only insulate me from job hunts briefly. Quickly taking wing it is, my 401k. One wonders where it does soar. Put off surgery. It's not that noticeable. If you wear a hat. Girl, you are so fine. I made you dinner myself. Mmm, ramen noodles. I still have a job, but fear keeps me from spending which might drag this out. I'm down to my last 17 syllables. There, recession haiku. Recession haiku.